0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: You're listening to the TCB Radio Network.
1: Hello, all you Elvis fans. This is Krista Joy, founder of TCBRadioNetwork.com.
2: And I'm your co-host of TCB Radio Network and Elvis tribute artist, Peter Alden. Welcome to the TCB Radio Network Podcast. Get ready for some Elvis content and news you can use where it's all Elvis all the time.
1: Interviews with authors, Elvis fan club presidents, artists, musicians, and of course, close personal friends of Elvis Presley, people who knew him, the man himself.
2: Thank you for tuning in. Now
1: sit back, relax, and enjoy.
2: It's time for the TCB Radio Network Podcast.
1: Tonight we have a very special guest on the line for you. She's a former girlfriend of Elvis, actress, host, stunt woman, model, beauty and health care expert, a public speaker. Mindy Miller was a working actress when she met Elvis in early 1975. She was interested in karate and she performed all of her own movie stunts, exploring spirituality and the Bible, and so she and Elvis had a lot in common. She and Elvis bonded over their common interests, and soon after, he asked her to go on tour with him in April 1975. We want to welcome you back to the show. Thank you for being here with us, Mindy Miller.
3: Thank you so much, Peter and Krista, for inviting me. I love your show, and I, 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 um, I, I just love you guys as people. Yeah, and I just think what you do for Elvis, and you work so hard, and I know how hard Peter works, and I, so I just have to say, you know, it's, it's a joy, and it's an honor to know both of you, and to be on your shows.
2: Well, Aww. we certainly love having you on, and uh, we've been wanting to have you on since the first time we had you on, so. Yeah, thank
3: oh, you, that's really so, thank, you. thank you for I saying that. I can't it. believe so much time has gone by already, it's flown. Yes.
1: We've been friends for over a year now already, so Yeah,
3: I can't believe it.
1: Time flies when you're having fun. There you go. And, and there she there hasn't unfriended
2: go. and she hasn't unfriended us yet. How so about that? <laughs> right.
3: What's your name again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Blocked. Anyway. No. <laughs>
1: I <laughs> love it oh. Amanda you're still doing so much for Elvis I know you have a, a fantastic DVD that's out that people can um, can purchase from you and you're doing lots of wonderful speaking engagements as well and we'll get to all of that but we thought for um, the beginning of the interview we'd go back a little bit can you tell us um, the first time that you got to go on tour with Elvis was here in our home state of Florida back in 1975 do you have any memories of him when you first saw him performing on stage? What did you think?
3: You know, I I had seen him before, on stage, before I had ever met him when I was younger, when he would come to California. I, I wasn't able to travel anywhere, where, wherever he was. But when he did come to California and he did come to Anaheim, I saw him. And it was a very different experience, I have to say, because now I had met him. I had known him. I had begun to know him better as a private citizen. That to me made all the difference in the world when we were backstage and he was getting ready and getting his you know, his clothing on and, you know, he would a lot of the time a lot of people don't realize, but he would pray, uh, pretty much before every show, before he went on stage and he would do it privately sometimes just in a corner or just walk off to a little space somewhere and sometimes before he'd go on you know he'd be going up the stairs and he'd say a prayer as he was going up the stairs but he told me that that he always prayed for a a great show and uh, to uh, not forget words because he had a, a propensity sometimes to forget words to certain songs and he'd be nervous you would not think that this man be nervous but he said the day I'm not nervous before I go on is the day that my singing career is over and I said to him why why would you say that and he said because it's always new to me and therefore it should always be new to the audience and to the fans and you know not knowing certain things like this just going to a performance or just going to a concert you think well okay they're backstage they get dressed they go on but there were so many other little things that went on before he you know came on stage and so knowing these things and how he thought or what maybe he was going through before he had to go on stage was huge because sometimes things bothered him in his life and sometimes things were brought to him although the guys knew better not to come to him and say anything that was uh going to be bothersome to him. You know, they'd say, Look, we're not gonna we're not gonna tell him this now because he's going on stage and he's gotta perform and he's gotta have a great show which completely makes sense. But if something did get to him or something happened, um, you know, he was the show must go on and he was extremely disciplined. So for me and then of course sitting on the side, I never got to sit in the front when I was with him. So I, I didn't see his shows, I didn't see his concerts like uh, a paying um audience member, I sat at the side. I only saw him from the side, <laughs> so <laughs> that was very, very different. But I got a whole different bird's eye view. It was amazing from being backstage, you know, getting off the plane, getting out of the car, going into the convention centers, going into the dressing rooms, seeing what he had laid out for him with drinks and soda and water what he would go through how he he would tease and and kid the guys and you know they would make it an atmosphere for him that was going to be fun because they wanted his experience on stage to be fun they didn't want him to be too nervous they they knew that this there's a lot riding on every Single show for him, and so they the guys always tried to crack jokes and make it funny, and you know you can see some of those things in, in um, tapes and stuff on YouTube, and you can see it. And the, he did that almost before every single show, and he always gave him time. And he always gave himself time in the dressing room. I never saw him rush from uh from a car to go right on stage uh, i never saw that he was always in a dressing room and he always gave himself time um and then he would have his quiet moments he'd go off in the corner have quiet moments and uh reflect and get over in his put over in his mind what he wanted to sing and how he wanted to come across so it was extremely different very very different uh to be on tour with him and and watch him and then you know what happened before and after and how they rushed him from the stage uh and and then he was rushed right to the car he never went to the dressing room uh there was no time and he couldn't see when he came off stage he was he was so blinded by the lights um and the flash bulbs and cameras and things and uh you know he had glaucoma as it was and um if you'll notice. Most of the time, he always wore his glasses, but on stage, he never did. Mm. So when he would come on stage, he was helped on stage to make sure he didn't miss a step. And when he came off the stage, he was blinded. And he was always led off stage, down the stairs, if there were stairs, which there usually were, uh, right into the car, and I would be waiting in the car for him. So I never even got to see the last song or hear the last song. As soon as that last song went on, the guys came and got me and ushered me to the car, and I waited in the car, in the limo, uh, and then we would go either right to the hotel or right to the airplane to go to the next gig or the next city or the next hotel. So it was extremely different, extremely different.
2: Now, I have a, I've a—I've always wondered, um, during the time that you spent with him on the road, did he ever give you any kind of insight into um, – Song selection. Obviously, there were certain songs he had to do, but did he ever give you any like when he would when he would go through potential songs for that show? Did he ever say, oh I want to do that one"? Or did or, somebody
1: else choose it for him?
3: Uh, no, he he always went through the songs by himself. He um he really did not like other people in charge of his music in any way, shape, or form. His music. You know, the reason he became who he was in so many in so many areas is because he had his own beat, he had his own way of you know, doing his songs and there were songs that he really, really loved. He usually, usually I wanna say always, but usually opened up with C, C. Ryder, as we all know. I personally would have liked to have seen him open up with another upbeat song, because the first song coming out was always supposed to be very upbeat, energizing, get the crowd to its feet, get the crowd going. So, you know, ballads or gospel songs would would normally be left, you know, to the middle, toward the end. But then he would, you know, he'd have his set. And that set would be out there, and Charlie would know that set. Usually Charlie went over the set with him, but it was Elvis that picked his songs. And and normally, he is the one that picked the order of the songs. And Now, I'm not saying he didn't take suggestions, but he wanted to be in charge of his music and what he did first and how he was going to feel. However, once he got on stage... If he was feeling a different vibe from the audience or he was feeling something different because, you know, in his own words, the reason he wanted to get back to performing live was because he missed the feedback of the audience. He missed the feedback of the energy that they gave him. So if he was feeling a certain kind of energy from the audience, he would change the songs up. And sometimes he would not tell the band and he would not tell the backup singers or anybody. He'd say, "Yeah, we're gonna do this right now. And, you know, they had to be very, very quick, know his key um, and and go right into it. And and he could be uh, very, very fast in his decisions i mean he he could say okay you know i'm ending this song and then all of a sudden he go uh we're not going to do that we're, we're going to go over here and and you and you know my key you know what to do and you know charlie would hop to it or uh joe gershio would hop to it and and ronnie tut would get on the drums and start that beat so he would he would you know, quite a bit at the time deviate from a particular song and then maybe go right back to the next one, but no. Pro- primarily, he picked his own songs and he picked uh, he picked the order they were going to go in.
2: Okay, so so they he had his set lesson and the band had a, another three sets ready. Casey, he...
3: <laughs> they you know once once you played with him, once you sang with him, and all that. You got used to the fact that he could change it up at any moment and be ready. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he liked to keep everybody on their toes. He was that kind of a guy. He liked to keep you on your toes. He didn't like people to just be set in their ways in certain things. And he would change it up, and they had to be ready to go. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, sometimes he'd go over to, especially during the Gospels, I remember, he'd go over to J.D. Sumner, and he'd say, uh, okay, you're going to do this whole song. And J, JD would just, you know, have to go right into it. He'd, he'd give him a big smile, I remember, because a lot of the time I was on that side of the stage where the sweets were um, and, uh, you know, the guys were, and I'd, I'd watch their faces, you know, and, and Elvis would kind of go over and, you know, the audience couldn't really see it, but I could see it because I was right there. And I remember a couple of times, JD would just look at him like, hey man, really? <laughs> <laughs> Like, really, you're gonna do this to me now <laughs> and And Elvis would give him a big smile back and and you know, they loved each other so much and um uh, and and j d'd go into it, you know, or Elvis was supposed to sing a certain part, and he'd go to jD and put the mic in front of him and go, it's a, it's a, it's all you." it's all you, buddy, you know, it's all you, son, <laughs> and and he would do that, you know, and then, um, you know, sometimes he'd spring a song on that, that he wasn't going to do where Kathy Westmoreland had the high part, and then, of course, he'd go over, lift her, he usually lifted up her right hand or her right arm and lifted her arm up and said, uh, you know, I want to introduce you to Kathy, the sweet sweet little girl with the high voice, and he would sometimes spring songs on her where, you know, she wasn't ready to go into it, and she did. She had to.
1: Well, let's go back. Um, we had you on the show before, but I wanted you to retell in case anybody missed it. Because we've, we've sort of jumped ahead to uh, the glamour glamorous years, that uh, time that you spent with Elvis. But your meeting, meeting him for the first time was actually a really cool story and, and probably not what people would expect.
3: Well, let me ask you, do you want me to start with the um, premonition I had or... When I was in the private club, and some people came up to me, or when I actually went to his house, because it, <laughs> it all—it could tend to be a little bit long, and I'm—I'm I'm fine with time, but you tell me where you want me to start. let You just, want me to start at the premonition?
2: Yeah, let's do the whole. Let's do the whole kit and caboodle.
3: The whole thing. Okay, <laughs> so my girlfriend and I are driving. Uh, we are headed north going up Laurel Canyon, which is across cross street there. It cross streets a lot of, of other streets. Santa Monica, Melrose, Beverly, all that. But we were headed up going into the San Fernando Valley. And we were in, I think I was i was in my Jeep. I had a Jeep at the time. I was in my Jeep. And we were stopped at a red light, and we were headed north, and this beautiful black Stutz um, bear cat, or bear hawk, was, was sitting there in front of us coming in my direction. So, you know, usually you look at the cars across the intersection and I looked at that car and I turned to my girlfriend, her name is Carol. And I said, Carol, I said, that is the most beautiful car I'd ever seen. Now, it's not a big deal to see cars in LA. I mean, the best of the best are here. You know, you have every Rolls Royce, every Tesla, every Bentley, every kind of car you can imagine. But nobody at that time had that car. And my understanding is he had four different uh bear cats or i want to say bear cats, bear stets, bear bearhawks, and then he had a white one, but in this one he had one that he primarily kept in California he had another one he primarily kept in Memphis and I remember as the light changed i didn't i couldn't see who was driving it, but as the light changed he uh, crossed over the intersection and I crossed over the intersection and I looked over to see who was driving because of the car. And I thought, well, it's gotta be some star or somebody. And I looked over to my left and I went, oh my God. And I turned to Carol and I said, Carol, I said, that's Elvis Presley. And she said, oh. And he didn't look at me, obviously. He's looking straight ahead. I remember he had glasses on. He had didn't have a hat on. He, is, he, he had a, a like a, a nice shirt on. I do remember that. No hat. He had his glasses on. And uh, I don't know who else he had in the car. I, I couldn't tell. But... He crossed over, and I literally had to pull the car over, and Carol goes, what's the matter? What are you doing? And I almost hit another car, because we were in the left lane, and there was a right lane. And I almost hit another car, and I pulled over. I mean, I screeched over. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, I just felt like I just got hit in the head. And she goes, what's the matter? Do you have a headache or something? I said, no. I said, but the weirdest thing just came over me. I said, it was like I've just been hit. And I said, I I got the weirdest feeling. I said, not only am I going to meet this man someday, I'm going to know him. And I said, I don't know how and I don't know where. And again, I wasn't somebody that ever thought of meeting Elvis Presley. I mean, I thought of meeting Troy Donahue. I thought of meeting, you know, to, you know, everybody doing the surfing movies and, you know, because it was, a, it was a time of surfing and the valley and the beaches and so as much as I liked Elvis Presley, I wasn't this huge fan so it never entered my mind so, you know, I, I, I thought, wow and then I got myself contained, we kept driving. Then I moved to Europe, I was modeling and acting in Rome and I was living with my boyfriend there at the time and we were there for, I'd say, about a year and a half And he and I split up, and I stayed in Europe, and he came back to America. He was also an actor. And I came back to close up my apartment. And I was only here for about a week, and I was going to take the rest of my clothes and take them back to Rome, Italy, and close up the apartment and sell my car. I had a 67 GT Ford convertible Mustang at the time that I had batched in the back. I backed into a pole, and I hadn't gotten it fixed yet. And I went out to a private club because I love to go dancing. And it was a private club called uh, The Candy Store. It was on Rodeo. And it was very, very famous. A guy named Johnny Von Neumann owned it. And he was the one that started VW. Um, And we had a very famous hairdresser named Jean Chacove at the time and these two guys owned it and everybody went in there from Jacqueline Bissett to all the athletes all the major actors so the average guy couldn't get in but I was young and um I guess they found me quasi semi-attractive and they thought well she'd be good for the club (laughs) 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 So, so I used to go in you know and you know it was a typical thing you know the older guys the younger girls and and the stars and celebrities so I went in one night by myself and I just was just going to go dancing and I knew some other young people that were in there that I could go dance with and I was in the club and a guy came up to me that I knew that ended up knowing the guys in Elvis's group and he came up to me and he said hey he said listen I haven't seen you for a while where you been I told him I've been in Europe and he said well I'd like to invite you to a party that's going to be this coming weekend and I said Ron I said very honestly I said I don't have time I don't have the inclination, I'm packing up, I'm ready. I'm getting ready to move to Europe permanently. And he said, oh my gosh, he says, well, he said, take my number, he said, give me your number, you might change your mind during the week, and I said, okay, I said, I probably won't, but whatever. And he called me every single night, and every night he called, he says, so have you thought about the party? And I said, no, I haven't, Ron, it's just a party, and I'm busy packing, I'm trying to sell my car. I have a lot to do. I have a plane on a definite date and time, you know, to take me back to Europe. So I would say about three or four days before I was supposed to leave for Europe, he calls me and he said, look, he says, you really need to go to this party. And I said, what is so special about this? And I was really getting angry. And he said, well, he said, I'll tell you something. He said, it's going to be a very special party and it's going to be at Elvis Presley's house. And it still didn't hit me that I had had this um, premonition, uh, you know, like two, two and a half years prior to that didn't hit me. And I said, well, I said, who else going to be there? He said, well, he says, I'm not sure. He said, but it's going to be a very upscale, very classy party. And you should really go. And I thought about it and then all of a sudden it hit me like the light bulb went on over my head and I went, oh my God, that's right. I had the premonition, but they never said Elvis was going to be there. They never said that I was to be his date. They never said there wasn't a party. It was all a ruse to get me there to meet him and I never knew it. So I got dressed. I went up to the house. I was an hour late and um, I got up to the house on Montevale. And I drove up and this big, huge, long, gorgeous driveway and I announced myself at the street and there were no cars in the driveway at all. And I thought, well, this is really weird. I hope I have the right address. But I was 24 at the time. Um, It was March 12th or 13th. Um, He had just finished that day recording trouble. I knocked on the door and i forget who answered but they said hi you must be mindy and that's when i said how would they know who i am if it's a big party you know so i said yes i am and they said oh okay great come on in i went in the house was completely empty there was furniture but there were no people so i didn't say anything and i thought okay it must be in the back or another room or outside or something so then he led me into the den which was a huge room they had the tv going on and there was no party there were all these guys just guys sitting around on both on each side of the room and then toward the back and they had the tv on and Farrah Fawcett was on doing a Wella Balsam commercial (laughs) and uh they sat me down on the couch and it was a long couch with a long um table uh coffee table in front of it and they said hi and you're mindy miller nice to meet you and how old are you and that's when they started asking me all the questions you know uh do you have brothers and sisters have you ever been married do you have kids are you religious are you a spiritual person what do you do we understand you're living in europe um what did you come back for i mean where did you go to school i mean everything you could imagine It was an interview, it was an inquisition. And I thought it's really weird. And that was about an hour. And then a couple of the guys walked out and I found out later they went out to tell Elvis she's okay. And he had been upstairs all this time waiting for me. So me being an hour late, he was not happy about that, which I didn't know at the time, I found that out later. And he had seen me pull up in my car, which was bashed in and he had seen me get out of the car. So he had been watching upstairs through his through the windows, which of course I didn't know, um, which of course I found out later. (laughs) (laughs) They they left and then nobody talked. And then all of a sudden I was sitting there and I'm looking at I'm watching the TV. And I, then I, again, I felt this, like somebody just knocked me over. I mean, it was like this hit in the head again. And I thought, my God, you know, am I getting a headache? what's happening? And I felt this presence just permeate the entire room. And I didn't know where it was coming from. And all of a sudden, I just looked to my right. Nobody was announced. Nobody said anything. And there he was. He was just standing in the doorway. And he had on his, um, I think, I think, I'm trying to remember clearly, I think he had his, like, his little white tennis hat on, and he had on his uh, sweats, I think they were the ones that were blue and white, and the white stripe down the arms, and he walked in, he kind of sauntered in, he looked at me, he didn't say a word, Uh, well, he did say a word, I'm sorry, he walked over, and before he walked over to me, he looked at me, and he said, hi honey, sorry I'm late, but so were you. (laughs) And I looked over, and I burst into laughter. He started laughing. All the guys started laughing, which broke the ice. And then he sauntered over to the table. He came around to my left side, put out his right hand, bent over to to shake my hand, and he said, hi, I'm Elvis. And I looked up at him, and I put my right hand out. I said, hi, I'm Mindy. It's so nice to meet you. And he sat down, and that was the beginning. We never stopped talking. And then after that, he offered me a car. Within the first hour, he got out the jewelry box, wanted me to take jewelry, wanted to buy me a car. I said, no, 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 no. Nope, not going to (laughs) happen.
1: Now, um, did you ever get a chance to tell him about this premonition that you had the two years before?
3: I never told him, and I thought about it. But, you know, I never told him because I didn't want him to think that I had been looking for a way to meet him, mm. or that I had been scheming to meet him. Um, you know, because a lot of fans and a lot of people did. They thought, "Oh, he's going to be, you know, here. He's going to be there. Let's stand outside and find him and get an autograph and this and that." But I wasn't that kind of a fan. You know, I only had, I think, two records by him. One was um, Wise was it Wise Men say? You know, only fools rush in, mm-hmm. and then the Hawaiian Wedding Song those were the two my mom bought me the 45s. that was it I didn't have an album I didn't have pictures of him I didn't dream about him I didn't think about him and you know I saw him on the Ed Sullivan show when I was five years old my mom and I were sitting in the den and Ed Sullivan was huge at the time and he had his show on every Sunday at eight o'clock his variety show And we all, we could always count on Ed Sullivan to bring us all the new hot talent. So he brought us the Beatles and he brought us, you know, he had been, he had been promoting Elvis for a long time that he was going to have him on the show. And so, you know, we were glued to the set. My mom was glued. I was glued. but I was barely five Mm -hmm. and there he was and he was doing, you know, shake, rattle and rolling and doing all his stuff. And I remember looking at him, but being five years old, I didn't have this kind of high school crush or, you know, a uh, teen crush on him. I wasn't, you know, the hormones were not in effect at that point. No, So <laughs> right. being, being five years old, I was just, oh, you know, he's really fun, Mom. He's really good, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't think any more about it. But then, as I got older, I think I was about 12 or 13, and he did, you know, um, the Hawaiian wedding song and... Mm-hmm. Because my we, because I had grown up in Hawaii the first four and a half years of my life, and I loved Hawaii, I wanted to have that song. And, uh, of course, later I found out that he loved Hawaii, too. So, again, I didn't want to tell him about the premonition, because I thought that maybe he would think that I had been looking for a way to meet him or something. And... He did not date fans. He, you know, if he had fans and he felt you were a really good fan and honorable to him and respectful of him, he would invite you into the house or any one of the houses. A lot of people that we know, you know, became friendly with him. Sandy K. Stevens, Sandy Miller. um, A lot of people became friendly with him and some of the entourage. But, you know, by the time I met him, i had been in show business a long time. You know, I started when I was like 12 years old doing children's theaters. So I knew that you didn't say certain things to, to actors and singers and people in the entertainment industry. You didn't want to get their heads thinking. You know, they don't want to think... That you that you are um, following them or that you are um, what's the word I'm looking for when you, um, <laughs>
2: you're
3: scu- you're sculpting them out you know what I mean or you're trying to place yourself in a, in a in a place where somebody would introduce you it was never like that not at all so this just you know this was all very innocent it was all uh, quite a shock to me but you know again I was much older for my age mm-hmm. so um I never, I never told him. I never did. Never said a word.
2: So this was, this was his house out in California?
3: Yeah. I want to say 144 Montevail. And at the time, my apartment was only 15 minutes away. Wow. You know, I literally stayed there all night. He put on a karate exhibition with the guys. He changed into his gi. He ordered all the spiritual books. I mean, not even all of them. And he gave me a ton of them that night, and then more and more and more. And I think what he realized also is that I was not into the material things like that. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love nice things. It's nice to have a nice car, a nice purse, and good, you know, nice clothes. I, don't get me wrong. I appreciate all that. But I've never been, at my core, a materialistic person. And I think that he got that when I said no thank you to the car and the jewelry and all that. And when he said to the guys, I want you to get this, this, and this, I didn't know that they were for me. I thought he was just expecting spiritual books. So my eyes didn't really light up or anything. He didn't say they were going to be for me. Mm -hmm. And then when when, um, Al opened the door and brought in these books, that's when Elvis – did it like a presentation. And he said, "Uh, honey, he said, you you won't take the jewelry, you won't take the car. He goes, what will you take? And um, (laughs) I didn't say anything. He said, uh, he says, I hope you'll take these. He said, I think you're a very spiritual young lady. He said, I can see you're already on the path. And he said, if you will allow me, we will study together. And uh, he said, we're all teachers. And he said, and we're all students. And he said, you can be my teacher, and I'll be your teacher, and we'll be each other's students. He said, you have a great insight for someone so young. And when I left that night, I remember Dave Stanley coming downstairs saying, Elvis really, really likes you, and he wants to see you tomorrow night. And one of the things he said to me that I'll never forget, he said, he loves the fact that you are so spiritual. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I've been like this my whole life. He said, yeah, but he says, y- you don't know, Elvis, he says, but you have to understand, he said, that's his biggest thing. And he said, and he said, not a lot of people connect with him on that level. Hmm. He said, so that's a big deal for him. And and I remember David telling me that I'll never, ever forget it. It stuck in my mind. And I, and I, I realize now after all these years and after having spent time with him, got to know him, that that was who he was. Essentially, that's who he was. And that was his id. That was the essence of who Elvis Presley was. And uh, to me, really shows me so much about him is his insight into people. He could read people so well and very, very quickly. And he could tell that, you know, those things didn't matter to me. And it's like I've said to people, I've sold the car. I don't have the dress I wore to his funeral. I wish I did, or the shoes. I should have kept them, but I didn't. Because I don't think in those terms. I never thought about you know selling the dress or selling the shoes or saying I wore this to Elvis Presley's you know funeral mm-hmm. i I never have thought that way yeah. uh, It doesn't enter my mind i I believe truly that he picked up on that and said she'll like the books, mm-hmm. and the books are everything to me they are they are not out of my sight, and when I take them on tour. They don't leave my purse. They don't leave my lap. If I, I don't even leave them in the hotel room. If I go out to dinner with an event and the people are taking me out for the events, they're with me. Mm-hmm. I don't trust it. I, it's not because I can't get the, those books again. Some of them are out of print, and you can't not you cannot get them. But the fact that he gave them to me,
1: mm-hmm. and the way
3: he presented them to me, and the fact that he wanted me to have them to study with him, and underlined in them, and. You know, that, to me, is much bigger than getting a TCB or a TLC or a car or the jewelry or any of it, because that's him. That's the it of who he is, you know?
2: You're listening to the TCB Radio Network Podcast, mm-hmm. where we're celebrating the life and memory of Elvis Presley. Hello, friends. This is Elvis Presley.
3: Hi, I'm Marion Clark. The official sex symbol on TCB Radio Network. This is Mindy Miller. This is Ray Walker from The Jordan This is Elvis' Speedway co star, Victoria Page Myron. This is Cynthia Pepper from
1: Kitchen and Cousins. This is Zoe Gotto, author of Elvis Style, From Suit Suits to
3: Jumpsuits.
0: This is Don Wilson. And if you're looking for Elvis, you're in the right place, TCP Radio Network.
3: Where it's all about Elvis. Everything is about Elvis.
0: It is all about Elvis.
3: All Elvis, all the time. If you want to
2: listen to something really stylish, Listen
1: to tcbradionetwork.com. You can't do any better than that. So stay with us.
2: People who know Elvis know about TCB Radio Network, where it's all Elvis, all the time. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, sir.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Krista Joy, and I want to let you know that tonight's show is co-hosted and sponsored by PeterAldenEntertainment.com and PeterAldenLive.com. Peter Alden is a classically trained vocalist with a voice like velvet, who performs everything from country to pop while specializing in the golden era of rock and roll. Based in Orlando, Florida, but able to travel all over the world, he can come to you. Please support TCV Radio Network by hiring Peter Alden for musical entertainment or to emcee at your next event. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Peter Alden Fans. Yeah, definitely, such such a spiritual side to him, and I know that um, that's something that he and Larry Geller discussed a lot as well. They they the spiritual side probably you're probably the only person other than Larry Geller that that discussed all these things with him so in depth. Now I know you you know Larry Geller, correct?
3: I do and I adore Larry. I love Larry. Yeah. Thank I God, think... Larry, because that was Elvis's salvation during times in his life where he really needed someone to talk to because he wasn't always here in LA and he couldn't always go to the Mahatma mother, um, which he would go to and he would go to her alone. He would get on his motorcycle or drive and go see her. One of the last times, just several months ago when I went to the um, Shrine Center, uh, where he got a lot of his books, where I now get a lot of my books and he prayed and he studied. He would go to the Mahatma mother, and um, he would go to her house, and they would pray together, and uh, she would teach him. And uh, that was extremely privy only to him. Hmm. And then he would share that with me. And I'm thinking, how many people got to share that with him? I know Larry did, and Larry may have gone with him, but not a lot of other people got to share that side of him that deeply. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, sadly, I don't think there were a lot of people that were interested in that side. And which is very sad and I think so when somebody finally was he grasped onto them
3: mm-hmm. that, that's exactly right he did and um, he got flack for it he got flack for it from the ex-wife he got flack for it from the colonel from some of the guys in the group I think that a lot of them I'm not putting any of them down but they may have had a different belief system you know Maybe they had a religious belief that did not allow them to go in more of an esoteric direction. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And Elvis was a dreamer. He dreamt as a little boy. When you see his costumes on stage, so much of that was not only from Liberace, but was from the fact that, you know, he used to, I forget the character's name, but in the comic book, he had a character that he really loved. And he had a cape.
2: Yeah, it was uh, Captain Marvel Jr.,
3: yeah, okay. I, I wanted to say the Marvel comic books, but I wasn't sure if it was Captain Marvel. But a lot of what he designed in his life came from his childhood. And he took that with him in his stage presence. He took that with him in his costumes. He took that with him in the way that he dressed. He was living his dream. That was his dream, He and he wanted to live it. And he was always a very curious young man uh, and even as a boy, he told me, and he would always read. He was reading voraciously. There was never a time I would come into the room or anywhere where he wasn't reading. I mean, if he'd go to his bathroom, it wouldn't be just to take a shower. He'd go take a shower and he'd be in there for an hour and a half reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, the man loved to read. And sometimes, even though he would, you know, we would be alone in the bedroom, especially at Graceland. He still needed his own time, and he knew it. And he'd say, you know, I'll be out in a little while. I'd say, don't worry. You take your time. You do what you need to do. But I knew he was reading in there. He was very concerned about having his own solitude. He knew that every living person needed that because he would say, you know, you don't hear God speak to you unless you're quiet. And, and you, you know, we meditated a lot. We, he loved to meditate, sit cross-legged. We'd meditate in the hotel rooms. We'd meditate on his big bed in Graceland. And it was freezing in his bedroom. His bedroom was so cold. <laughs> and so I'd wear like double pajamas and a robe. He'd say like, honey, don't you think you have too many clothes on? <laughs> I'd say, but E, it's freezing in here, you know. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so he'd be he'd be sitting there in his pajamas cross-legged. And I'd be with the pajamas and the robe and the socks and the slippers (laughs) and we'd be cross-legged meditating and praying and um, Christ light, Christ love, you know, and he really needed that to himself. He needed that and there was really nobody else. And once Larry Geller kind of left the scene for a while, um, he was searching. Hmm. He was searching for it and he always believed in um, esoteric psychologies It was, he was the most fascinating man in that respect. And that's, you know, that's the part of him that I like to share because it's like I've said to people there are books upon books. You can find out what day he wore what jumpsuit. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: It's no big deal. But that is not, in essence, who he was. And I say to people, what is it that you love about Elvis? And some people will say, well, I love his music. I love the way he dressed. I love this and that. And then other people will say, that he was so generous that he loved his mother and that he was spiritual and they'll say that but they won't know how he believed or what he wanted his audiences or his fan base to know and and that's what makes me sad and that's those are the things that have not really been shared during his legacy and, and that's what saddens me and I would like to impart on his fans because they're not my fans they're his fans I would like to be able to impart some of who he was that I'm able to share of the things that he would approve of to his fans because that's what he wanted them to know and rest my mother's soul I have no reason to lie about that he told me many times that these are the things he wanted his fans to know about him and he had no way of sharing it with him with them on a global on a global um stage, because he was up there singing. Do you know what I mean? So he can't administer to every single person how he feels and what he wants them to know, which is why I now do my daily devotions from one of the books he loved. Um, And this was actually um, one of the Mahatma's books. And this is one of the books I'm looking for. Um, It's here at the Self Realization uh, Fellowship Center from the Faramahasa Yogananda, and it's been put into spiritual diary that gives you it gives you daily devotions so I, I do the daily devotions from Jesus always and also from the spiritual di- diary from the Yogananda Uganda, Yogananda and and these are these are what Elvis believed and he would get up every morning and read all these things and read before he go on stage pray before he went on stage this is the essence of this man and it's not been shared hmm. except for Larry and now you yeah. <laughs> now you. I'm doing my best. You know, I'm not invited to everything and that's okay. But what I am invited to there seems to be a lot more uh the event planners are telling me that they are getting more interested in this and that they that the fans that buy their tickets um in their cities and states and countries are getting more into it they want to know more who the man is that yeah. you can only know so much about a jumpsuit right. you know Bill, Bill Baloo made them and he had them in this color and that color and you know they had a slant to the cuff and a slant to the to the, to the cuff of the pant and the, to the wrist and there's only so much you can and then what?
2: well then you uh... uh then you become a tribute artist and sing the wrong song in the wrong suit <laughs> you'll hear about it then let me tell you <laughs>
3: Well, see, and I never even got to do that because I didn't know what an ETA was before three years ago. Right. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. In fact, so am I correct? I'm thinking that so you were at Graceland when the funeral happened. And then the next time you were there was not until, what, 2017?
3: Last year. Yes. So you went back before you. I could not 40th. bring myself to go back, Krista. I could not bring myself to go back there.
1: Yeah, I, and I can understand why. But tell everybody what it was like. Now, did you did you get to go in the house when you were there in 2017?
3: Yeah, what? Uh, oh, okay, in 2017. I thought you were asking about the funeral. Um, yes, I was invited uh, by Andrew Hearn of Essential Elvis in England, and he is the first person that ever... Um, he kind of outed me, let's say. And I'm forever grateful to he and Jessica um, who she and I have become very good friends since then. And um, Andrew uh, invited me over to England and I went, and uh, it was my first ever live interview. It was my first ever interview. I had given two small interviews years and years ago, which actually both ended up being in England. And I had told my publicity agent at the time I was doing a TV series called Switch, with Robert Wagner and Eddie Albert when Natalie Wood was still alive. And I said to him, he said, well, you know, we need to promote you and the series and this and that. And he said, what have you got to promote? And I told him and he said, oh, Elvis. He goes, nobody's bigger than Elvis. We got to promote that. And I said, oh, no, we're not. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Now, this is a man I'm paying $3,000 a month to promote me and he and he's asking me what I have to promote with. So, you know, clearly um, it's a lot easier doing social media now (laughs) you don't have to pay these people an arm and a leg but I said no that's not going to happen and he said why I said because it's not permissible that's not what Elvis would want he said well you've got to be kidding he said you're not dating him anymore I said that doesn't matter uh this was in 1977 before he had passed away Mm. I said no I won't do it I said I will not do it and he said well what about if you do a small interview here and there and it'll be in England and you know I didn't know his fan base was huge in England I had no idea I guess they came out in England but it was a little little interest I think at that time so then of course I never said anything for 40 40 long years and so this was the first time I went to England and um Andrew was very kind and he had a very nice turnout, and people came. And it was the first time they'd ever heard about me. It was the first time they'd ever heard my stories or my time with him. And I wanted to impart on them what Elvis had told me that he wanted his fans to know. And I told them that. And that was the whole spiritual side of it. And Andrew said, You know, we just want to hear some great stories. And I said, Well, I don't talk about anything else, and I talk about nothing that Elvis, that I know would not have spoken about his private life or how he led it or what he did or things that may have happened, that will never come out of my mouth and it never has. Now that's not to say privately, I don't discuss with my closest friends certain things, but those things would never be made public and I would never write about them. Mm -hmm. And I I honor that to this day. There are things in your personal life, in all of our personal lives that are private, that are nobody else's business.
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And, And even
3: though they may have come out through other people, you won't hear it from my mouth so you know
2: so now we we cut you off so let's go back then you did you did say that you did go in to Graceland during the funeral or or did they keep everybody out yes of
3: i was i was called and i was told what happened what was what happened of course i was um, i was devastated yet not devastated if you can understand it i knew that he was not well I could tell that he wasn't well but you don't you, I didn't really expect that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was too young. Yeah,
1: he
2: was he was yeah. he was young yeah. um but like you said he was going through some issues and so you know people were I, I think they were they were surprised but not surprised.
3: Well, you know here's the thing. He was so strong. And during any illnesses he had, he always bounced back. He was so strong and mentally, he was extremely strong. Physically, he was, he was strong. Internally, we all have, whether it's a bad heart or maybe born with a bad kidney or, you know, internally, there's different. But he had a very strong core. His physical entity was very strong. His mental capacity was extremely strong. Yeah.
1: Um, memory
3: and, and all that. So, you know, we always thought that he would bounce back. He he, he definitely needed a rest. He definitely needed to take time off. We all wish he, he could have and would have, but he chose not to at that time, and that was his decision. <clears throat> but I, I started packing in a hurry. I, I didn't even know what to take. I was panicking, and I packed a black dress which looking back now it should have been white because he loved white which was his favorite color besides blue he wore a lot of royal blues and baby blues he wasn't that fond of red he only had a couple of jumpsuits and things that were but he if you look at most of his jumpsuits I literally just got a whole bunch of new pictures of him and almost every single jumpsuit was a different white jumpsuit done differently you know in, in his different designs and patterns and things but um, I, I just threw things in I, I didn't even have time to think and I should have worn white and of course as it was all the uh, the 17 um, cars you know limos were white and they were all white. everything yeah. everything was white yeah and and I I should have worn white I'm very sorry I didn't but I panicked I, I wasn't thinking I thought oh my god I just gotta get there So um, you know, I got to the airport and um, prior to getting on on the plane, I was told I I needed to take a taxi and they'd pay for the taxi and all that. And I said, okay. And I was supposed to go on the Lisa Marie plane, but then Linda and I were not allowed on the plane. His ex-wife decided that only a few people were allowed to go. So I felt that it was a waste of the plane really because it costs so much to fly that thing and you know the gas and the pilot and everybody has to be paid and it's a waste of space really and I didn't think that that was the time to be particular it's it's a time that we're all honoring this man that we all loved that we all shared time with some more than others which didn't matter but uh, I was you know I, I, I just I threw it all I threw it out and I just went oh you know oh well I didn't I didn't get angry. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I just needed to get there. So we were told. Joe Esposito called me, and he said, "Listen. He said, just uh, we've made arrangements with American Airlines. Uh, You are going to go on American Airlines, and they're bumping people off the plane uh, for 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 Elvis's people to get to Graceland." Mm. So I got to Graceland, and one of the guys picked me up at the airport. Took me to the. Took me. Took me not even directly to the hotel. Uh, took me straight to Graceland, and it was a shock. It was an absolute shock. The streets were just lined and lined and lined, and helicopters were overhead, and police, and any kind of enforcement, any kind of law enforcement you can think of was there. And uh, by the time I got there, it was it was night. It was nighttime. And it's about a four-hour flight to Memphis and Nashville, the same. I want to say it was about one thirty here, One. 1 or one thirty here, it was about 3 or 3.30 in Memphis because it's three hours later when I heard about it. And I went straight into the house and, uh, you know, we had to pass, um, uh, I don't even remember who was at the gates, who opened the gates for us, but we went up to the gate and there were cars there and there was no media allowed in the house, thank God. It was one of the few times that media was not allowed. Mm. Although later we found out that Maria Shriver was in there and everybody thought that she came to pay respects and we were all shocked to find out that she was media Mm -hmm. and they would not have liked that. So they thought she was paying respects as the president's daughter and she came in and um, that wasn't the way it was. So you know I went into the house and when I got to the house I just fell apart. I'd been trying to keep it together. but. I just fell apart and uh, the first person I looked for was Joe and I fell into Joe's arms and we both started sobbing. I looked for Vernon and Vernon was in the back room and Joe said it's not a good time. I said okay and then I went to go see Grandma Dodger and Delton, you know, Joe said it's not a good time. So he said, you know, you'll you'll have your moments but um, there's going to be a time for all of this in the next, you know, couple, two, three days. So I went and said hi to other people and hugged him and people were crying and people were talking and it was just an, a whole evening of disbelief and um, I don't think that he was laying in state at that point. I believe they brought him back the next morning. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember if I saw him that night or not. I may have. I'm trying, but I would, I would. would. I would need to go into the books and see what time They picked him up from um, the hospital or the, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where they prepared his body and brought him back. Um, I would need to look that up because I want to say that I went in to the music room, which is where he was laying in state, and saw him. But I don't remember if it was that night or the next morning. But I went back many, many times to see him during the course of the days and the course of staying there throughout the day and the evening you know to say final goodbyes and things you know nobody's really talked a lot about that but that's okay but you know so many years later you think back on these things and it's that's why it was very tough for me to go back into that house because it's not like I was there I mean I was there during happy times and I was there for the funeral and i not many of the girlfriends were there for the funeral. I mean, I was there, Linda was there, Sheila did not go, Barbara Lee did not go. I'm trying to think who else was there, and Marker was there. But it was really, when you stop and consider all the people that he knew, there were quite a few people that really were not invited. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of people went to the public funeral, And I mean, pretty much I think anybody could go, as long as there was room outside cuz there were chairs outside during the service at uh, Forest Hills but you had to really be invited to come into the house you know and stay there so i this is why i didn't go back for all those years i couldn't bear i couldn't bear it because my last memories of that house were was it was him was the funeral mm-hmm. it's not like i went there on a happy occasion and didn't see him for a while and didn't go back do you know what I mean right yeah this this was a whole other scenario of of walking into that house remembering so it was very difficult for me to go last year and I was really numb I thought I would burst into tears I, I really thought I would lose it but I was so numb that I couldn't even cry I was just numb when I walked into the house and you know there were tourists there and all that. So I kind of really had to keep my cool. And they took pictures outside the house for, for Andrew's book and things like that. And all over the estate and, you know, in the back by the pasture with the horses and things. But I had not seen his resting place because when I left him was at Forest Hills. Yeah, and then right. two months later, they moved him to his meditation garden, which as we all know now was built after the self-realization shrine that he loved so much
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and that that uh, you're right, that was pretty quickly because I know that there was they were they were afraid that someone was gonna I guess there was a plot to steal his body, so yeah,
3: yeah, they, uh... there was so that's when his daddy said, "Let's bring him home and they had to get clearance and all that so i I hadn't I had seen none of this, so you have to remember, I went forty years. I, I mean, I didn't put a picture up of him. I, I, I couldn't bear it. It was hard enough for me. I had to literally come back and go right back to work because the producers of switch let me off for one week. And I said, you know, I need to leave. And they said, Why, you know, are you quitting the show? You have a contract? I said, No, I said someone I'm dating. And even then I wouldn't tell him. I said someone I've been dating um, has passed. And they said, oh, my God, we're so sorry. And I said, yeah. And they said, where, where, you know, how long, is it, is it a day? Is it local? I said, no. They said, well, where is it? I said, it's in Tennessee. And they said, oh, my God. They said, well, you know, um, Elvis Presley just passed away. I said, I know. And then I I had to tell him because I said, look, I need a week. I need a week. I'll be there three or four days. And then I got to come home. I said, "I, I need some time. They said, well, we'll give you as long as we can, but you need to get back to work. And I remember going back on the set and RJ coming up to me and he said, we're so sorry. We had no idea. Nobody knew you were dating him. I said, no, I never talked about it. I never promoted it. And he said, well, you know, Natalie used to date him. I said, yeah, I know.
2: <laughs> so so he didn't he didn't go? Because I knew he knew Elvis, but so he didn't go? He,
3: no, he did not go. He was not invited. Oh, okay. You had to be invited. Okay. It wasn't like anybody could just go, and we were doing the show at the time. See, he couldn't leave the show. He and Charlie Callis, Sharon Gless, and who's the other guy I love? The other actor, Ed. Eddie Albert. Eddie Albert, thank you. I was almost gonna say Ed Asner, Eddie Albert. (laughs) Um, They, you know, they couldn't leave. They they were the principals of the show. Right. So I, I had to get right back to work. I had no time to mourn. And so I kept my mouth shut for 40 years. Never said a word, didn't hardly even listen to the man's music. I could not do it. I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. And so all these years, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, this was like somebody took me and put me in a jail cell and I heard no news. I very rarely heard anything that went on. I didn't listen to it. Now, I was still friends with Joe Esposito and I still spent a lot of time at his place because he lived one mile from me. But, you know, other than him, I didn't talk about it with anybody, but he needed to talk. You know, I needed to talk, but you're in the same circle. You can talk. Mm-hmm. I can't just go out and talk to my girlfriends or talk to somebody in the general public about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, I kept myself out of it for all these years. I didn't know what was going on at Grayson. I didn't know. I, 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 I really didn't even want to know. I was so despondent for so long. And then, of course, somebody else put me on Facebook, and then that, then it all happened. So it's all still been very new to me, and I've learned a lot in three
2: years. Yeah, yeah. It,
3: it's actually three years this month that I that, that you know I first came out on Facebook. Wow! That's amazing.
1: Thanks for listening to part one of this interview. Tune in this Wednesday for the exciting conclusion. Don't forget to subscribe to TCB Radio Network on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you'll get a notification as soon as our latest episode drops. While you're at it, please rate us with a five-star review. This will help other Elvis fans find our show. Also, this just in, you can now subscribe to our podcast episodes on YouTube. We also have a YouTube channel that includes archived episodes of our Facebook Live broadcasts and more. You can find links to this and so much more at TCVRadioNetwork.com.
2: We'd also like to thank Lee Douglas of Old Time Rock and Roll always found at www.oldtimernr.com for converting our show to iTunes. We appreciate you, Lee. Be sure to check out Lee's fantastic site and listen to his weekly shows, all oldies music with no commercials. TCB Radio Network is strictly a fan publication, not affiliated in any way with Elvis Presley Enterprises or any of its affiliates or subsidiaries. Please visit us online at tcbradionetwork.com. All trademarks, product names, company names, and logos mentioned are the properties of their respective owners. All opinions stated within do not necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone else, and certainly not Elvis Presley Enterprises.
1: Still the King, our theme song for TCB Radio Network podcast, was written by Shane Douglas, produced by Terry Fullwider at Blue Spot Studios, and performed by Peter Alden and his band Crown Electric Company, featuring David Fontana, son of Elvis Presley's original drummer, DJ Fontana, on drums. Elvis
2: Presley is still the king. Well, all like the original superstar, burning up, rockin' hard, the one and only rock and roll. roll.